Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Ronnie will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I want to know who knows what a double entendre is. A double entendre, a show of hands. Double entendre. Who knows? All right, nice and high, y'all. I can't see. Let's see. Double entendre. Okay. Well, that's most of you who don't know. Well, listen, write this down. A double entendre means something spoken that can be understood in two ways. Something spoken that can be understood in two ways. Here's a classic example. The story is told of a teacher in England who accepted a small job in a community in Switzerland. And she went to interview and she accepted the job. And while there, she found an apartment and returned home. And when she returned home, she didn't remember seeing a bathroom in the apartment. Now, in England, they call the bathroom, anybody know? The water closet or the WC. So she wrote back to the head schoolmaster in Switzerland and she asked if there was a WC in or near the apartment. And the schoolmaster didn't know what she meant by WC, so he asked one of his ministers if they knew what the WC meant. And they came to the conclusion that she must be talking about the Wayside Church. So this was the response that the schoolmaster wrote back to her. The WC is nine miles from the house in the heart of a beautiful row of trees. It will seat 150 at one time. It's open on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Some people bring their lunch and make a day of it. On Thursday, there's an organ accompaniment. The acoustics are very good. The slightest sound can be heard by everyone. It may interest you, he wrote, that my daughter met her husband at the WC. And then he said, my wife, being quite delicate, hasn't been able to attend regularly. It's been about six months since she last went. (laughs) It's not true, guys. (laughs) Y'all are like, oh, that poor woman. Naturally, he said, it pains her not to be able to go more often. This is what we call a double entendre. It can be understood in two ways. Sometimes a double entendre can cause some confusion. In our text, we have a double entendre. Concerning the temple of the Lord and the the house of God, I've titled this sermon, Zeal for My House. John chapter 2, saints, we pick up in verse 13. If you're looking at John chapter 2, verse 13, I need you to say a hearty amen. Amen. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. 
And Jesus went, where saints? Up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of what? Merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then in verse 20, then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. If you've been with us, you know that the reason John is writing this gospel is to inspire belief. Now listen, over the next several months that we are in this text, I want you to remember John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. I want to filter everything that we study through these two verses. John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. We have it for you on the screen. I want you to read it with me and read it like you mean it. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. 879 verses in the Gospel of John, all intended to cause us to believe in Jesus. Last week, were you with me? John decided to inspire us to believe in Jesus by telling us about the miracle of turning water to wine at the wedding in Canaan of Galilee. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Jesus traveled with his family to Capernaum, stayed there a few days, and then went south and up to Jerusalem. Now listen, south is usually down, yes? But when you refer to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is always what? It doesn't matter where you are geographically. They travel south and up 80 miles to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, you know, look, look at me. Give me your attention. You know that in Israel, there are three major feasts that are celebrated. You have the Feast of Passover. You have the Feast of Pentecost. And then what will be the last one? The Feast of, anybody know? Tabernacles. Write it down. The Feast of Passover the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles are the three major feasts celebrated in Israel. The Passover was the most important of all three. If you were a Jewish male and you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, you were required to attend the Passover. But listen, it wasn't just a requirement in the heart of every Jew. It was also a lifelong dream to attend the Passover in Jerusalem in the heart of every Jew. 
It's almost like it's a lifelong dream for every Christian to go to Israel at least one time in their life. Every Christian wants to go to Israel one time. I usually tell Christians, you know, you should want to go to see the, the Israel and go to Jerusalem and go see the old city of Jerusalem. So when you get to heaven and you see the new Jerusalem, you'll have something to compare it against. And you'll see the new Jerusalem and you'll go, man, this is a serious upgrade. This is, this is really a nice place. And so every Christian, it's their dream to go to Israel once in their lifetime. And that's why at the end of Passover, every Jew would hold up their glass and they would say, next year in Jerusalem. They do it today, as a matter of fact. Last time I left Israel, it's a common, actually, it's like a common departure type statement, like a leaving statement. And those of you that go to Israel with us, you'll, you'll see We'll, they'll drop us off at the airport and the, and the people will give us a hug and they'll say next year in Jerusalem because it's the hope that all Jews especially will go there one time in their life. You know the Passover is a celebration of the Jewish people's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. So at this time, pilgrims from around the world are streaming into the city. Are you listening? Jew, Jesus is, leaves Capernaum and he starts the 80, 90 mile trip south up to Jerusalem. The roads are crowded. The city gets more congested the closer you get. Jerusalem is hustling, bustling city with excitement and people. There's a Jewish historian by the name of Flavius Josephus, and he tells us as many as 2.5 million people are in the city of Jerusalem. That's a lot of people in this small city. And for those of you that go with us in 2013, you'll see 2.5 million people in this very small city. The hotels and the restaurants are packed. Uh, you'd be uh, expected to host a family in your home. You were forbidden to charge people a nightly rate during the Passover. People dressed up in their best clothes. It was a high time in Jerusalem. They would repair roads in the city and tombs were whitewashed so nobody would accidentally touch them and defile themselves. If you got to Jerusalem early enough, you would camp out around the temple. Almost like, you know, people go to a concert nowadays and they get there really early so they can camp out around the, and get in sooner and get up closer or whatever. Same thing in the temple. People would camp out and, and just hang out there. They would just, just to do it. Uh, if you walk through the city, I'm trying to paint you a picture of what's happening during the Passover. Y'all listening? As you walk through the city, uh, you would hear songs being sung and poetry being read and stories being told. You'd hear riddles and word games being played, people enjoying themselves and enjoying one another. If you walk into the synagogue on weeks four, three, two, and one, they would be talking about the significance of the Passover season. If you walk into a home, ladies were cleaning the house, washing the pots and pans. The house is cleaned and every nook and cranny of the house was checked to be sure that there was no leaven in the house because Calvary Chapel people helped me out. Leaven represents what? Sin. The Passover was a one day event. Write it down on the 14th day of Nisan. It was followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a seven day event. So it was a total of eight day feasts. And I'm telling you this because you need to understand that the Passover was this huge event. 
There was a lot going on and lots of people and lots of people are on the Temple Mount watching what's going on in this situation. So Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. He goes straight to the Temple Mount. Now on the Temple Mount, stay with me, there are four courts. I want you to write these down. There are four courts in the temple. You have the court of the priest, which is the inner court. You've got the court of the Jews, where only natural born Jews are allowed to go. You've got the court of women, where only women are allowed to go. You got the court of the Gentiles. It was where all the foreigners and Gentiles were allowed to go. The court of priests, the court of the Jews, the court of women, and the court of the Gentiles where all the foreigners would go. This was the biggest area. This was a big, huge open area set up like a flea market or a super Walmart, an emporium. Jesus is walking around and he sees the merchants. He's walking around in the area of the court of the Gentiles. He sees the merchants telling, uh, selling the ox and the sheep and the doves. And he sees the money changers, the money changers set up booths to exchange money. Because people would come from around the world with different money and some money had the impression of heathen gods on it or Caesar stamped on it. And the Jews considered it blasphemous to use other money in temple precincts. So they set up foreign exchange booths. These money changers were charging exorbitant rates to change the money and the people had no choice but to pay it because they traveled a long way. Now also when you came to the Passover, you had to bring an animal sacrifice. Many families would decide to purchase that sacrifice when they got there because it was difficult to travel with an animal for a long journey. So as you traveled hundreds of miles, when you finally get there, the person at the gate would say, well, where's your sacrifice? Oh, we need to get one. They would say, okay, well, you can go right over there and you can get a sacrifice over there. And of course, the sacrifice over there is going to cost you 10 times as much as if you would have bought it outside of the area. And of course, then in order to get the sacrifice, you got to take your money to the exchange booth, which is over there, and exchange your money at an extremely high exorbitant you know, interest rate. And it was all a ripoff. You know, it's something like going to the movies. You know, you pay $10 to get in the movie and $250 for a box of popcorn, right? It's the same thing. And then there are those who brought their sacrifice with them to Jerusalem. You know, there was families, they would like have like a lamb and they would have the little baby lamb and they would raise the lamb for years. And they would tell the kids, you know, someday we're going to have to take the lamb to the Passover, and we're going to have to sacrifice a little lamby. So, they, you know, kids love lambs, and, you know, they love little lambies, and they, you know, they, they give it a little name. So they got to take the lamb to the sacrifice, and they, you know, got to say goodbye today because we're going to have to sacrifice, you know, this lamb. So they, they, they bring their lamb with them. They arrive at the temple and the priest would inspect the lamb. And so you come there, you got your lamb and you've traveled 90 miles with this lamb. And you come to the gate where the inspection priest on duty was. 
and you give him your lamb and he's got to inspect it to make sure the lamb, come on, somebody help me, to make sure the lamb is without spot or blemish. So the, and the priest is inspecting the lamb and he's looking under the leg and he's going, oh, okay. He's checking the teeth and looking under the nose, make sure that he says, ah, oive. I see a spot, right? There's a spot right there. They go, a spot. I don't see a spot. Oh, yeah, it's right there. I, I, don't, I don't see it. There was right there. I'm the inspection. I'm trained to do this. I know. There's a spot right there. You can't sacrifice this, this, this lamb for a sacrifice. You're going to have to go over there and buy another lamb. That's what I say. And it was a big ripoff. And of course, before you get the offering, go buy the lamb. You've got to go exchange your money. And to exchange your money, you had to pay a high interest rate. You're upset, but you've got, to, you've got no choice but to exchange. It was all a setup, and everybody was getting paid, and everybody was in cahoots, and the temple area had become a one-stop shopping of a den of thieves. And Annas, the high priest, sold franchises for the concession stands to the highest bidder, and he was making a killing. And the merchants are selling stuff and they were making a killing and the priests were declaring every offering unacceptable and they were making a killing. So the people of God, are y'all getting this? The people of God are coming to worship God with a pure heart and everybody is taking advantage of them and making a killing off of them in the church. Y'all know where I'm going. And everybody is taking advantage of people and right there in the house of God, in the temple of God, God was being dishonored. And instead of worship and prayer and praise, Jesus found a feeding frenzy of corruption and greed and wickedness. Get this in your mind's eye. Jesus is walking around. I paint all that scene to tell you this. Jesus is walking around listening to this chaos And he picks up some leather cords because they probably had leather cords thrown around from bringing the oxen in. And when they're done, when they're done with leading them where they go, they just throw the leather straps down. So Jesus is walking around. He's hearing all this chaos and he sees a leather cord down there and he just picks that one up. And people are yelling and they're arguing and they're gambling, grappling for this price and that price. And you're ripping me off and I can't believe you and popcorn is cheaper and I don't believe you. And Jesus is walking around listening to this and he picks up another leather cord and then he sees another leather cord and he picks it up and all of a sudden Jesus is walking around, listening to all the chaos. He can hear people arguing and he's plaiting together a whip. He's making a whip and people are haggling over the price and Jesus can hear the anger in their voices and it's like a circus of cheating, profiteering and Jesus got angry. Now listen. Jesus did not have an anger problem. Y'all say amen. Jesus did not need anger management. Some of y'all do. Jesus did not say amen. There are some people who have a problem. They have a hard time with Jesus getting angry. Listen, the Bible has a lot to say about anger. Anger, you take a note, you write this down. Anger is a God-given characteristic. Anger nothing wrong with anger. Punching holes in sheetrock, that's wrong. Say amen, fellas. Breaking dishes is wrong. Say amen, ladies, because y'all good at that. Y'all throw a dish in a minute. I got used to it. I'm like, 
They're like, yeah, you thought you got me now. Oh, oh man. So y'all ladies, y'all gonna throw one that way, throw one that way, they come back around. That's wrong. Slapping someone, although some folks need it. I have to say I'm a preacher. It's wrong. Ephesians 4, 26. It's on the screen. Uh, it's so important. Come on, read it with me. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. The Bible is clear. Listen, if you love, then anger is a necessary component of love. God is love and therefore God will be righteously angry. Exodus chapter 4, verse 14. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Psalm 7, 11. God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. That's a sobering verse. God is angry with the wicked every day. Acts 17, Paul is walking around Athens and his spirit is stirred or he's angry. Nehemiah, you know, got angry and he pulled out the men's beard. I like that. He pulled, Nehemiah got angry and pulled out their beard. Ezra got angry and pulled out his own beard. I don't like that. That hurts. Pulling out the beard, that hurts. There's nothing wrong with anger, with righteous anger. Listen, Christians, we should be angry when we see a child sexually abused. Somebody say amen. We should be angry when we see a culture that supports abortion. When we look at the scriptures, Jesus was angry, but his anger was always other-centered. Huh. He wasn't angry because he was feeling hurt. He wasn't angry because he was ignored. He wasn't angry because he was cranky. Jesus isn't cranky. Are you glad about it? He's not cranky. We don't serve a cranky God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's not cranky. Jesus was angry for others' sake. Jesus was angry when others were hurt. We get angry when someone offends us, don't we? When somebody cuts us off the 440, that's where we see your Christianity, now, don't we? We see just how Christian you really are when somebody cuts you off. Some little boy asked his mommy, he said, Mommy, why is it whenever daddy drives, all the idiots come out? <laughs> Jesus is angry because people began to listen. Jesus is angry because people began to despise the house of God. And yesterday I'm in my office and I'm preparing earlier in the day and I sat there and I just sat there and I just sat there and I just pondered this one thought. God is angry at the people because they, people began to despise the house of God. And I began to think, what would God think of his house today? What would God think of his house today? Looking at the church today, we've got churches that call themselves seeker-sensitive churches, or they call themselves seeker churches. You heard of these seeker churches? Just kind of wave at me like this. There's seeker churches. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I'll tell you. A seeker church is a church that they don't want to say anything to offend a non-believer. So they take out the words like blood, blood of Jesus. They don't want to talk about that. That's yucky stuff. We don't want to talk about the blood. That's depressing. And we don't want to talk about sin. They take out the sin word and they say, Jesus died for the things that we do wrong. Listen, 
Jesus didn't die for the things we do wrong. I can tell you this. If you lived on this earth, and it's not possible, but if it were, and you never did a thing wrong, you would still be a sinner. Because the Bible says you are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Am I right about that? That's the truth. So you don't have to do something wrong to be a sinner, but seeker churches don't want to offend everybody, anybody. So they take out anything that's offensive. We got false teaching in the church, uh, the seed faith and plant a seed for your need and, and God's plan for prosperity, health, wealth, name it, claim it. Telethons, praise-a-thons, beg-a-thons. Uh, we're watching TV the other day, Christian Miracle Juice. Christian, what in the world? Christian miracle. And of course, you can get this Christian miracle juice if you send in a love offering of $49.99. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.